Hello and welcome to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul. My co-host Justin Baker here with me today on the precipice of Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals as the Vegas Golden Knights lead the Florida Panthers 2-0. And uh, this is something you called, isn't it, Justin? Uh, Not the 2-0, that's for sure. But uh, I said six games. I I figured, you know, I, I honestly saw this probably going you know, one, one and one for, you know, at least the first four games, but man, oh man, I, it, it doesn't look like the same Florida team that we, we expected to show up, I guess, you know, and Bobrovsky, you know, to your point, like in our last show, we talked about hasn't necessarily lost it, but he, he definitely hasn't helped. <laughs> the rest is like the rest of the team has. <laughs> right. Bobrovsky may not have lost it, but the rest of the team seems to have, yeah, yeah, they they just aren't playing defensively the way that they had been playing in previous series. They're allowing a ton of opportunities to the slot, which is like that that's been their bread and butter is to not do that. And yeah, it's uh and I I think Paul Maurice in one of in his press conference before the finals, he said they said what's going to be the key and he said, you know, whoever wins the slot battle is probably going to win this series and mm. I don't think you have to look further than that Mark Stone goal in game one where he's in the slot, knocks the puck down, doesn't even make a move and just wires it into the corner. Uh, I mean, that's that's winning the slot battle in, in a way that most people can't. Well, very right. few guys can do what Mark Stone did on that play. Gosh, and I wonder if Matthew Kachuk is going to set an NHL record for most penalty minutes in a finals by the time this is all said and done. What is the record? Do we know? I don't know. Let me see if I can Google that yeah, really quick. Google that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the the Stanley Cup finals have been, I'll, I'll say even even in the, the case of a blowout uh, by the Knights, it, it has been entertaining. So, uh, it's, it's delivered thus far. The Vegas Golden Knights are insanely deep, and the Florida Panthers are, are really reeling right now, especially with... Uh, the injury to uh, Lewis Darinan and oh gosh, who else? Uh, Radko Gudis getting hurt. Um, that's that's gonna hurt the Panthers uh, with with him missing. They just so real quick. Not, yeah, yep. Yeah, no. I, I before I forget. So I did did Google it. Uh, Hundred and three penalty minutes by Maurice Richard in a Stanley Maurice Cup final. Maurice Richard. That's great. You know, yeah. and the, the the great thing is, I'll bet you he won like the Hart Trophy that year too. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Actually, I don't. I don't have the year in front of me. But uh, uh, Rako Gouda. So I did read today, though, that he came out and said that he is going to be good to go for uh, Game Three. Oh, he is. Okay. All right. Well. Uh, yeah. Good. Good. I mean, yeah. It's the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, a guy like Radko Gudas, I'm sure you you pretty much have to cut his leg off in order to stop him from playing in uh, in this series. So that's not super surprising. Uh, all right. Anything else to say about the finals? I mean. You know, by the time people are listening to this, Game Three will have uh, will have likely happened. But uh, any anything to just kind of add about what we've seen so far? Well, first off, I'd like to make a correction. Uh, so I actually got it wrong. Hundred and three oh, oh. is Game Three. Is Game Three not for? Oh, Game Three no, tomorrow. It's, it's Thursday. Yeah, it's tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's Thursday. So just a quick correction. So the hundred and three penalty penalty minutes is the most ever in total. Out of, out of a career for a Stanley Cup Finals. Oh, okay, um, okay. Not in, in one Stanley Cup Final, but in yes. like, gosh, he probably won eight cups or something like that. Yeah, I'm Six sure he was there quite a few. But uh, so the most ever in one particular Stanley Cup Final series was Mel Bridgman uh, in 1979-1980 season. He had 53 penalty minutes in six games. And for reference, so far through two games, Matthew Kachuk has 36. Okay, yeah. One fight and a misconduct, and he wins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'll be, he'll be there. Well, uh, well, then in that case, I guess I expect him to, to win that. I, I want, I want if you If you look at the penalty minutes he's racked up so far in the playoffs total, um, I wonder what the record is for most, play, most penalty minutes in a single playoff. Um, I would imagine that he's going to come close to that too, because he he's also had another game where he had a game misconduct, I think, too. So, mm-hmm. um, I'll you know we'll you can do the googling on that if you want. <laughs> uh, shall we talk about some of the some of the things going on in the league? Where do we want to start? Do we want to start with this? Uh, what Mike Babcock? 
Why not? I want to share with Mike. Okay. All right. Uh, for those That's of you, official, who, but. <laughs> for those of you who just uh, who who maybe haven't heard yet and are hearing this for the first time, we we are not joking. Mike Babcock is coming back into the NHL. He is going to coach the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, he has not officially signed the deal. He will not sign the deal until June thirtieth, when uh, his contract officially ends with Toronto. Um, I guess he I guess he wanted to he wanted to milk that six million dollar a year contract for a, a little longer. He's probably like, well, if I sign a deal with you now, I'm going to make like fifty thousand dollars less, a hundred thousand dollars less this month than I would if I just signed when it's done. And it's probably just easier that way. So uh, anyways, so Mike Babcock goes to the Columbus Blue Jackets and you're Johnny Goudreau. What is your first thought? Oh, I got a tyrant coming in here. Why did I sign? Why did I sign? That's my first my first thought, really. If I'm Johnny Goudreau, right? I mean, I, I think, honestly, he came to Columbus, um, you know, really hoping that, uh, you know, again, that this team was on the verge of, you know, I mean, really that he could be that extra piece they needed, right? They were such a tight group you know, discipline wise defensively. And so maybe he could be that, that next piece to take them over the edge. Right. And, um, you know, clearly that, that was not the case. And, um, I have to imagine now, I mean, right. It's, it almost seems like to me that, you know, uh, Yarmo Kekalainen, and he's, he's almost, you know, like this is the last shot, right? Like we, we brought in guys. hundred percent. Yeah. We, that were quote unquote players, coaches, right. Because that's, you know, where Johnny Goudreau comes in at, right. We had John Torts in there. He was, not necessarily a player's coach, but, you know, I don't think the players necessarily despised him. Like I think the rumor going around about Mike Babcock is right. That he was just a tyrant in Toronto that guys just could stand him. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing to have the results, right? Babcock's been to a couple finals. He's got the ring. That's, you know, that's one thing. That's, that's great. Uh, a nice little check Mark for him, but, but honestly, you know, well, that's he, why he's getting a second chance, right? Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly it. That's why he's getting a second chance. But, you know, I think there's just a lack of discipline among these players uh, in Columbus, apparently, and Kekalainen saying, you know what, hey, if Babcock comes in and can't make it work, I don't know what else to do. And, you know, there goes his job. I mean, he's he's on the hot seat if there ever was a GM that is on the hot seat right now. Yeah, that is very true. Um, and, and you know, Johnny, Johnny Gaudreau may have uh, enhanced that a little bit. Because you go, I mean, he he didn't come there because of Kekalainen. He came there because of the city. And maybe if you're ownership, you suddenly go, "Hey, this is a this is a good place to live." Like, not that they didn't know that, but this is a good place to live. Guys want to come here. Uh, I certainly think that with everything that happened with COVID, a lot of players, a lot of American players, do not want to be on a Canadian team. A lot of them. So I think they're, and, and maybe even Europeans too, but definitely American players. And when you consider that, and you know, there's granted there are, there are what 25 American teams, but still there's, that's a one of, you know, a team that has $80 million to spend and they're spending up to the cap now. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's becoming a, a decent destination for somebody who has like a family, you know, they, they want to just, kind of live a, a more simple life don't want to live in the new yorks or the la's they they can go to columbus and it can be more of like the suburby kind of kind of vibe and i think that there's a lot of guys in the league that that would appeal to especially a ufa who's a little bit older and maybe has already had their fun elsewhere <laughs> so, yeah and you have to wonder too right i mean johnny goudreau like you said you know a lot of american guys don't want to go play in canada and you know what, I, I have to wonder, too, if part of the reason, you know, Johnny Goudreau also decided to leave was, I don't want to play for this taskmaster and, and Mr. Sutter over here, you know, who's just, a, you know, the nail driver. And right. gosh, now he granted you know, he did have a uh, he did have his best season ever under him. True. Absolutely true. So and and but, you know, Brad Larson was was definitely more of a player's coach. And so, you know, maybe that was appealing to Johnny Goudreau a little bit. Right. Um, you know, things like, you know, the, the personnel and, you know, cities and, you know, teammates, all that aside, you know, maybe he thought, okay, cool. This could be a coach I could see myself playing for. And, you know, it's definitely the complete opposite of, you know, Daryl Sutter. And now all of a sudden now he's got another 
Daryl Sutter 2.0 coming in here, it looks like. Yeah, on the flip side, I mean, you can't expect to sign an eight-year deal and play under the same coach the entire time. That is highly unlikely. Absolutely uh, true. But, okay, so let's uh, let's talk about Mike Babcock for a second because obviously we know, we know all the rumors. We know all the, like, the things that he did to different players and uh, he the, the whole Marner thing and the, like, you know, who is the hardest working player on the team and – I, I I heard some more about it. Uh, I guess he said the I don't know who the top one was, but the the last player on the list was Tyler Bozak. Oh, on Marner's list, and then I guess uh, Babcock took that to these veteran players and told them who what he said, and then he went back to Marner and was they were like, "Dude, what the hell?" And he's like, "He made me do it." And then they went back to Mike Babcock and said, "Dude, what the hell?" And you know, it was just. I think in the end, and Mike Babcock actually apologized for that, which I'll say is probably a rarity. Um, it's not too often you're going to get a guy like Mike Babcock to apologize for something specific like that. Uh, he did say that he he shouldn't have done it. So, I mean, that's fair. Like, we all, we all do make mistakes. It's douchey. But at the same time, can you not see sitting down with a guy and going, all right, look. Who are the guys that are the hardest working players on the team? Like I, this is a this is what I'm imagining where it comes from. Like, who's the hardest working player on the team? And like, let's just rank everybody on who the hardest working guys are, all the way down to the least hard working guy. All right, you have them do that. And and I don't think that that in and of itself is a bad thing. Like, because then you can go emulate these guys, ignore what these guys do because they're lazy. Right, like that. That's fine. Uh, it just goes to a, a different place when you go and you take that list and you go, guys, look at this. <laughs> well, he thinks you're a lazy sack of shit. Like, <laughs> uh, that's where it goes to the next level. But I, I mean, I guess it's what five, six years now. I mean, I've done, I did stupid things five, six years ago too. Uh, I've I've said stupid things, done stupid things, and I I guess. Everyone gets a second chance, and here's the second chance. You brought up Tortorella a little bit ago. Tortorella, if you remember, I mean, he had a very similar reputation of, like, guys hated him. He was such a hothead. It was just, remember the situation in Vancouver? He was uh, going into the other dressing room. Like, he was just so over the top, so ridiculous, so angry, and... He, he left the game for a little bit and came back and he was still himself, but he was much more uh, played within the boundaries a little bit. And, and I think that Babcock will come back. He's been coaching university hockey. So he's been around college players for the last five years, four years. And I've got to think that, you know, he's learned, he's, he's, he's spent a lot of time with a lot of young guys and, my own my hope for Columbus and their fans is that he's a changed person and that he you know maybe the edge is taken off a little bit and maybe there's a little bit of a humbling being like dude you went from everyone wanting you to now you have to go to the Columbus Blue Jackets and like sorry Columbus like you, it isn't the destination of uh, a super high profile coach to go I'm going to Columbus like Tortorella went there because he was such a mess <laughs> that Columbus was one of the only teams that would take him at the time. So he goes to Columbus. And I mean, I think you're that both hires were uh, Yarmo Kekalainen. And you wonder if he's just kind of like, well, maybe this is our, our chance at getting another Tortorella, you know, somebody who really milked the team uh, and got all every ounce of juice out of everyone that he could. And, Turn them into a, like at least a perennial playoff team that definitely didn't win much, but a perennial playoff team nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it'll be interesting to see. I think you know now, um, you know, obviously we we hope that Columbus can try to focus this offseason on getting themselves a you know a, a top line center here with that number three pick. That'll that'll obviously be just gold for them if they can get you know whether it's leo carlson or the, the kid from michigan adam Fenta. yeah you know I, I think they got between him and you know kent johnson i think they could have just some really good centers for for mike babcock to work with and 
And then I got to say too, you know, this this Provorov trade, not to to transition in there. I don't know if you want to, but that's um, true. Yes, I was like, all right, yeah. we're going to transition to the Provorov trade. <laughs> If I if I, mean, I had a little producer, if I had, we had a producer, he'd be saying that in our ears right now. Right. <laughs> I think this this is a win for Babcock because I you know what I started reading some articles about you know Babcock going to Columbus and what people were saying and uh, you know after this trade came out there was an article in the Athletic that pointed out very clearly and you know I remember from his time in Detroit that Babcock likes to rely heavily on shutdown defensemen. Now um, of course the game has changed a little bit since you know Babcock was in Detroit and. You know, obviously things are a little bit different. You know, you have a lot more speed to the game and stuff like that. But, I mean, I'm sure as yourself, as a Maple Leafs fan, you remember his love affair with Ron Hainsey and, and Polak. And so, um, you know, I, I think this, this Provorov trade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this, this Provorov trade is going to fit that bill for Babcock because now you don't have to rely on Warensky. You lost uh, Gabrikov to, you know, L.A. They got him re-signed now. And so... Now you've got a guy who, you know, again, plays a really good two-way game and can be a shutdown guy for you on your second pairing. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really nice acquisition for Columbus. Uh, you, you look at it and you, uh, you know, the, the from the Flyers' perspective, I think they, they get a pretty good haul. I mean, they're, they're not worried about the salary cap stuff, so they basically get a first-round pick and uh, they – they get to get get rid of Provorov, who just wasn't he wasn't fitting anymore. So they get that first, they get that second. They do have to pull in Cal Peterson, but they get Sean Walker, who is I mean he was he's a really nice player uh, for the Kings. He just kind of fell down the depth chart, but I think for Philadelphia, he's he may be in their top four. Uh, so he'll he'll definitely get an opportunity to play up in the lineup, uh, whereas he wasn't going to get that chance in L.A. And then they also get that second round pick from L.A. as well for taking the Cal Peterson. So uh, I like the haul for Philadelphia. It moves them closer to being bad. <laughs> They're just going <laughs> to get a little worse, but they get these draft picks and it kind of accelerates things. Uh, they Provorov wouldn't be around for when the Flyers are going to be good again anyways. So I, I think it's a nice move. And for Columbus, especially getting 30% of that deal retained, he comes in at 4.725. Uh, I, I like the deal. I, I think that everyone kind of wins. It's a, like, I, I like those kind of deals because, you know, L.A. actually went and signed Gavrikov just before we started the show. I think, what, five, $5.8 million, somewhere mm-hmm. in there is what he signed uh, for a couple years. Two years. It's that's a rarity these days for yeah. a guy in his prime. Yeah, two year deal. But um yeah, so they get to keep Gavrikov and that's kinda has to be included in the deal a little bit, right? Like that was that is the reason that the Kings made that deal was so that they could sign Gavrikov and by making that trade, it's sorta like he's included in there. So uh a a good deal for the LA Kings, I think, as well. Um but yeah, it does uh Provorov for two more years at four point seven two five. I'm I'm looking at this from Columbus's perspective, and you're like, all right, so you're you're trying to win now, obviously, like that's a win now type of trade. Uh, but this you you are you're about to have the third overall pick, so you're also not very good. So I'm <laughs> um, I I am sort of wondering here. You know what? Uh, what ultimately the Columbus Blue Jackets are trying to do, because they just seem to be a little messy. And I think maybe that's why they're bringing in Babcock just to go. You know, we're better than we were last year, but we need somebody who can really just grab these guys, tighten up our system, and hold people accountable. Which you better believe, Mike Babcock will hold people accountable. That seemingly was not happening under the previous coach and so under Brad Larson. Uh, so I, I think Columbus could be significantly better next year, not just because of this Provorov trade, but because there's going to be a, a new sheriff in town, we'll say. And I, I think these players are going to come to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to you have to assume they're going to be better than they were last year. I mean, I don't think anybody really pegged them to be that bad last year. Um, you know, when it came to, no, you know, your no. end of the season predictions. So I think we kind of had like, eh, Columbus should be sort of in the mix, probably won't make the playoffs, but like be in the mix. And exactly. they just were never in, in any mix. They were in the shit mix. 
they were yeah. down the septic field and just yeah they were rotting in in the backyard somewhere 30 feet underground they were bad right <laughs> rotting 30 feet underground <laughs> i love that i mean yeah you're you're exactly right i mean they were just they were in the shit mix. And so, again, they, you know, I, one thing I do like, and I'll be very interested to watch this. Um, you mentioned Babcock being a college coach, playing, you know, coaching a lot of these younger guys, right? So that's, that's the mantra with, with Columbus right now. They've got young guys like Cole Sillinger, Kent Johnson, Kirill, um, and then, of course, whomever they take with this, this number three pick here. So they've got young guys now that they really need to bring up. And you wonder if Babcock is the right guy for that, right? Like maybe a guy like Jake Bean, right? You get a little bit more out of him or, um, you know, you look a little bit further down the line. Maybe they're, you know, starting to look at, you know, some of these younger guys in the minors and think that maybe Babcock is the right guy to, to take them to that that next step, right? I don't know. but um, I mean, so. ultimately, can the Blue Jackets, with they do armed with $12 million in cap space um, and the, obviously the third overall pick. They can go and they can pick a center and solve some of their issues. Um, seemingly, that center will come and just jump right in, and you know they. I'm sure they hope can jump into the lineup based on the projections of all these players in the top five. Uh, but they probably need to go out and sign a centerman because Boone Jenner is your number one center. No offense to Boone Jenner, really like him, but he's not a number one center. He probably isn't even a number two center on a playoff team, let alone a nope. Stanley Cup winning team. But uh, a, on a, a playoff team, you're probably, I mean, if there's injuries, he can certainly move up, right? Like if there's injuries, no no big deal. He can slide up a little bit. But I, I think he's best suited as a uh, as that third line center. No, and, I absolutely agree with you. I, I, and I and he was at one point until they were just forced to throw him up there. Right. I mean, Jack Roslovich obviously didn't really pan out. I think they were hoping he would be that number two guy. He kind of, you know, went up and down the lineup at at various times. So maybe, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for him to slide back up into that second center spot. But for me, what I'd really like to see, um, I don't know how possible this is. You know, like you mentioned, that 12 million, 12 million in cap space. If they could go out and somehow make a move. I don't know, or sign a guy, right? I, there's not too many high-end centers that are going to be available, right? But maybe you go out and you can convince a guy like Ryan O'Reilly. That's to come exactly play. who I was thinking of, right? Man. He would just be ideal for Babcock. I think that he could come in and be a veteran guy to a lot of these younger players. Could slot in that number one spot, and then you can put, you know, Leo or Adam. You can slide them in that center spot, or you know, at the number two or number three spot. And uh, I just don't think there's any way that Ryan O'Reilly looks at the Blue Jackets' situation and says, yeah, they could win. We could win the cup next year. And he's at that age where I don't like that's that's what he's going to want. But maybe you go to like a team. I could see a Jonathan Taves. Yeah, that that could be possible. But what I was I was looking at too some more trade candidates here, perhaps a guy like Shane Pinto, who was touted to be a top six guy. Who just needs it? I think just needs a change of scenery out of Ottawa right now. Um, you know that He's might just be. Been, keeps getting hurt. I know. <laughs> yeah, there is that part of it too, right? Um, you know, but outside of that, really, I, the only other guy I can think of is maybe JT Comfer. Maybe you could try to get him in there, but he's not a number one. So I don't know. That's uh, boy. You know, I mean, we know you know Bergeron and and Krejci are going to be Boston or retired and. You know, Pierre Luc Dubois is going to be not not going back to Columbus. That's for damn sure. Um, so no. the high end market for for centers is is very very thin. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, and it, and hey, it's why it's so difficult to uh, to get a center. It's why you pay your center so much money. Um, it's why there's a lot of panic in Toronto about uh, Austin Matthews <laughs> signing with the Leafs long term because you don't they they don't grow on trees anymore. Like it used to be every year. You know, some big couple big players would become free agents, and you'd have a shot at them. Uh, but that doesn't happen anymore. It's so rare; it does not happen anymore. And uh, be, especially because of that extra year that the the home team can provide. Mm-hmm. When you're talking to somebody about an extra ten million dollars, <laughs> when you're when you're up in that range, I mean, it's just hard to compete because you look at it and you go, in eight years. Am I going to be able to make $10 million again? Like, am I going to sign that deal again? Probably not. So that extra year can really, 
make a difference if the guy's willing to stay. Um, but yeah, it looks like Columbus is uh, going to sign Mike Babcock. So good luck to uh, to all in Columbus. Hopefully, he's a changed man. Um, you know, I I here's what I have not seen yet, and I really want to see. I want someone to go find all those players that used to play for him in university hockey, where I wherever he coached, um, somewhere in like what was it like Manitoba, somewhere in like that, oh somewhere out there where he could hide. Uh, I want I want somebody to track those guys down and go. What was he like as a coach at this level? Like mm. what? How did he treat you? And that that's something I haven't seen yet. I haven't seen anybody trying to. Uh, trying to talk to to those players and and I would imagine that if he treat if somebody treats you terribly and somebody were to call you up and go hey we like we'd like to get an interview you might not give your name but you're gonna find a way to tell your story like it seems as though anytime somebody's uh, for lack of a better word abused um, in the sports world it always gets out so if I I feel like he's he probably was on his best behavior knowing he wanted to get back to the NHL. Um, he probably looked around the bus and went, I don't want to be in a bus anymore. <laughs> I want to be in a plane. I want to be in a jet. Yep. So it, he was coaching at the University of Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Uh, that's right. Yeah, okay. Yep. Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Close <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, is that probably in like Regina? It's freezing cold. That's all I know. Yes, that's true. <laughs> freezing cold in the plains. Okay. Huh. Where should we go next? Um, what? Okay. Sorry. Before we leave the Philadelphia Flyers alone, uh, it is kind of out there now that John Gibson has requested a trade from. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, John. Uh, not the Flyers. Sorry, the Ducks. John Gibson has requested a trade. This kind of goes in with the Flyers because it seems like Carter Hart is on the table now for the Flyers as well. So with John Gibson out there officially, Carter Hart unofficially, uh, after the Ducks named head coach Greg Cronin, uh, what do we think about the goalie market right now? And and what team should have Carter Hart and or John Gibson on their radar? Yeah, so that's that's another name, right? Carter Hart, right? So we know... Danny Breer, I'll say this, he's done a, you know, he did a fantastic job with his first ever trade as a GM. And so right now the rumor is Carter Hart's going to be the next trade, right? So if Carter Hart goes, goes, uh, you know, the rebuild is officially on, even though, I mean, everybody kind of suspects it at this point, right? It's kind of out there that like, dude, they are pulling a Buffalo Sabres where you're like, let's go out and get this, like a goalie that has just been garbage and (laughs) we're going to play him 70 games this year. And hope that he's really bad. And then watch him just have a bounce back year. Right. <laughs> I mean, I hope he does <laughs> for his sake. Um, but yeah, it's uh, certainly seems like, especially with just the one year left on his deal under 4 million bucks, seems like this is the perfect time to trade Carter Hart because does he want to stick around for a exactly. long rebuild too? Uh, you'd have to ask that question. And so I wonder if this is sort of a mutual parting. Yeah. So, you know, just looking at teams, right. I think the, the goaltending market is, is going to get pretty hot. There's a, there's a few big names out there. Gibson Hart. We know um, the other names I can throw out there. Varlamov, Tristan Jari is going to be the top UFA, I think coming out of the, the goalie market right now. And then of course uh, you're going to have some other names in there too, but um, you know, like Cam Talbot, but you know, Freddie Anderson, for example, First off, when when I look at Carter Hart, the first team team that came to mind was the Anaheim Ducks, right? If you're going to lose your franchise goalie and you're going through a rebuild, um, not necessarily do I think Carter Hart wants to go there, but I think it's a place where Carter Hart could go and be part of that rebuild. Now, necessarily, do I think he's the solution there? No, I think they need to, uh, you know, find somebody else. I think they need to spend a couple more years at the bottom and and slowly get guys like, you know. Um, you know, Trevor Zegris, Troy Terry, I think they need to spend, you know, the next two or three years getting these guys ready to be, you know, able to push for a playoff spot. And so um, Carter Hart might be a little bit, you know, past his prime or, you know, might not be willing to wait it out, I guess is the yeah. right term for it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, beyond that, right, I think one other team that comes to mind, well, two other teams that I think are ready for playoff contention that are going to need goaltenders are the Carolina Hurricanes and Pittsburgh Penguins. 
Um, it, it, if if they it, don't sign Tristan Jari, right, and, and it doesn't. I mean, we haven't heard anything on that front. And, I mean, they did I, just they did just hire Kyle Dubas, right? They just hired Dubas, but which again, it wouldn't I, surprise me if he he you know went after someone that we've never heard of or someone that had struggling season and just try to you know try to patch it up at the goaltending position because that's what he did for uh, five years in Toronto. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, again, assuming Tristan Jari doesn't re-sign Pittsburgh, uh, they're going to need a goaltender because he says, you know, that window's not closed. As long as they got Crosby, Malkin, Latang, they're going to they're gonna be there. Of course. Um, so a guy like Gibson, a guy like Hart, um, I, I lean more towards Gibson over Hart in Pittsburgh, but I, I think either one of those goaltenders could be a potential fit if you think that Hart is the guy that can that can bounce back and be that, that type of – you know, elite goaltender that he was projected to be. Now, uh, Carolina, again, they're another team, I think, that could really use John Gibson. But um, at, at that price, I don't think that's a priority for them right now. They might be more interested in Hart and let a couple of young goaltenders, uh, you know, battle it out and, and see how that goes. But, you know, besides those two teams, I think if you want to you want to look elsewhere, you could look at the Buffalo Sabres. Um, yeah, right? Obviously, they, I think Craig, they, they Craig could, Anderson's good done. So, yeah. Yep, they, but, they're going to have a big hole to fill there. I mean, they've got Lukanen, who you know, yep. who looks good, but he's only 24. Right. Yeah, um, he played really well in the starts that he had this year. Yep. Yeah, and and so maybe you bring a guy like Gibson in, and you know, now you have that well, that great combo one A one B to here's to play with. here's where here's where uh, like you you know we we're talking about the free agent market, and when it comes to you know look you look there's eleven goalies. Uh, sorry, there's eight goalies who are UFAs that have won more than 15 games last year. Oh, that's a huge number. I mean, that's a fourth of these teams, at least one B goaltender, uh, winning 16. You know, Aiden Hill won 16, Quick won 16, Talbot won 17, Corpusello 18, Ranta 19, Anderson 21, and then Jari 24, Martin Jones 27. I, I don't know that. Uh, anybody's trying to bring Martin Jones in as their number one, uh, <laughs> even though he won a lot of games, his save percentage was still pretty pitiful. Uh, I I actually wonder how many more games Seattle might have won if Martin Jones wasn't there. <laughs> um, but they, yeah, they they just uh, I I think Seattle may be on the look for a, a new goalie too. That's a you know a team that will certainly be looking at least for that one B. To, uh, to complement what they already have. Uh, but with eight, we'll say eight UFA goaltenders who are uh, decently hot on the market, and that doesn't even include Varlamov, who only won 11 games this last year. So tack him onto the list, James Reimer. Uh, I mean, there's at least 10 goalies that are UFAs uh, that could make a difference on your team. I mean, even Laurent Brossois was pretty yep. solid for for Vegas. He went seven and zero in the regular season. Uh, there's there are a lot of goalies that uh, that have some pedigree. They've played some games. I mean, Alex Nedeljkovic only played fifteen games, but does he? You know, could he find a, a spot somewhere uh, and and actually kind of turn this thing around for his career? Uh, he he had a really rough year this year. He got hurt too. But he wasn't bad the last two years before that. He was just on a bad team with the the Red Wings. He was great with the Carolina Hurricanes. So, I mean, there are a lot of goalies out there. Are you spending resources to trade for John Gibson or for Carter Hart instead of attempting to bring in any number of these goalies? Well, that's the question, right? When you said attempt, right? So that's and the other part is is you have to hope that they're available. Right, so we we talked about Aiden Hill. The the run he's having in Vegas is tremendous, I, yeah. and I don't think know, that Aiden Hill is going anywhere. I think he'll resign in Vegas. Right, exactly. Yeah. They've already apparently they made an offer to him in March. Um, he wanted to wait till after the season, and I think they're going to do move, everything bro. they can. Good yeah, exactly. Smart play. For I mean, sure. at this and, point, five five million dollars for Aiden Hill. It's possible. I guess it really all depends on where where they see Robin Leonard and maybe and, four, know. if he, you know, four and a half, if you take a discount, but you got to look at that Allmark deal as kind of your Allmark. Maybe you're looking at the Carter Hart, but he's a UFA. So you got to think more than what Carter Hart's making at, at about four. So, 
Yeah. Um, Corpus Allo, he's, I mean, they, they're going to find a way to keep him in LA, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, um, you know, between Anderson and Rata, it wouldn't surprise me if they try to keep one of those guys there. They already um, said they wanted to keep both. Well, yeah, I mean, they would, yeah, right. We, we talked about that on our last show. We'll, but we'll I don't think that they that. can go, fi- like, looking at what Anderson made for how many games he gives you, ah, man, it's, it's tough. Right. Because he's just hurt. You'd yep. like to get Anderson in at a deal of around three million bucks, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know I, that that'll happen. But I think if you can get some term on Anderson, right, you can keep that cap hit pretty low. Um, that'll be the, yeah, the big question, deal, I think. Because yeah. um, so he's thirty four, right? Oh, so, thirty three. Sorry, Rounds is thirty four. But, but again, you're playing. You're you're gambling that the guy you want is going to be available, and he won't go sign with another team. Versus you spend some assets, right? And and the other thing is with with goaltenders. They, I mean, the trade value is not not super high, you know, right? I mean, of course, you know, we've heard rumblings of of Connor Hollebuck being available, um, you know. Now, okay, think, now we're talking about somebody I'd spend some resources for, right? Now, yeah, exactly, because that's a proven winner, a proven Vesna guy. Um, but like, for example, a guy like Jonathan Gibson, who's had a couple down years the last few years, not necessarily. I don't blame him particularly, but you know, again, I, I think his his value has dropped, and sure. so maybe you could get you know, get him for a second and a, 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 you know, a B-level prospect, maybe you could make that kind of play. I mean, how Um, valuable is John Gibson really? Like there let's, let's go here. Cal Peterson was basically just given away. Actually the, the Kings sort of had to pay to have somebody take away Cal Peterson. Now he was a $5 million cap hit for one more year, right? One more or two more, two more, two more. Yep. Okay. So 10 million bucks. And John, and, and yes, he had a bad year. John Gibson has not had a year above a 904 save percentage since 2018 19. So, and, and it's just basically gotten worse. Like this last year, 899 save percentage. I know the Ducks were bad, uh, but the last four years, he has been an under average goaltender. He's making $6.4 million a year for the next four years. So now we're talking over $25 million for John Gibson. In my opinion, I want you to pay me to take John Gibson. (laughs) And I want you to eat salary too. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't think that John, for, for me, when I look at this crop of free agents, who, who would I rather have? John Gibson over. Do I want uh, John Gibson over Frederick Anderson? No. Yep. Not really. I do. Not really. They're the same. But they're the same. But John Gibson will stay healthy. That's true. John Gibson will stay healthy. But you have to pay him. You have to pay for him and you have to pay double the salary. Or, or somewhere around there. Uh, like Cam Talbot. Would I rather have Cam Talbot? I think so. Nope. I think I'd take Cam Talbot over John Gibson. Who cares if you're healthy? You're bad. Why? Well, <laughs> he hasn't been good for five years. But but here's the thing: you have to. As That's GM, longer than Bobrovsky make, wasn't good for. But you have to rely on your scouts and your your management team to make the determination: was John John Gibson bad because of the environment, the team he was playing for, or was he bad because he's just. He's just not good anymore, right? So that's the question you have to ask. And if if you believe that it was just because Anaheim was a, was a terrible team, they had terrible coaching, terrible systems, and it just fell on him to try to carry the team, and he just couldn't, you know, couldn't rise above that that all that weight that was on him there. And you think he can come into a better environment and and excel, right? Then it's it's worth the gamble because again, I I agree with you. Just because of the term, the amount of money there that people don't like to spend on goaltenders now. Um, especially in a one A one B market, right? You could probably get him for pretty cheap. So if you think that coming into your system to your team, he's going to get back to his original form to where he was a, a Vesna Canada five years caliber ago. goaltender, yeah, five years ago, <laughs> then, a long time ago, then, yeah, spend a second, a third round pick, and you know what? You have to live and die by that because if he comes in and sucks again, you're not offloading that contract. I can tell you that right now. No I one would, will take a, another chance at him. So I would much rather take my shot at Tristan Jari and pay Tristan Jari $5 million a year. Well, I don't disagree I, with you. I think he's he's a safer player right now knowing that you could probably get a guy. I'd rather have Varlamov. 
Uh, well, so here's here's the flip side about that, right? That's Varlamov is a safe bet, right? Um, you know you're going to get a quality goaltender. He's and also not going to get five million dollars next year because well, yeah, and you because don't have he's to 35, and yeah, and he only played 23 games. Right, and that's the other thing too. Now you have to ask yourself from a management standpoint: Is he just is John Gibson just worn out because he plays like 70 games every season for Anaheim? So is he just burnt out, right? And so Varlamov, you're going to get a guy who's at least fresh, right? So there's that argument. Yeah, I just don't think I, now if we're talking Carter Hart, we're in a different conversation. Like John Gibson, I think you need to pay me to take him. Carter Hart at 24. At, th- at less than four million bucks, he's got arbitration rights, you know. So I at least have him for another two years. Even on a really bad team, he played pretty decent the last two years. I think that I'm I'd be willing to to spend some resources on Carter Hart. Uh, he would be my target. John Gibson, like I'm just looking at this from a the standpoint of like what domino is going to fall first. I right. I have to think that John Gibson is going to be at least, you know, teams are going to go and try to get Carter Hart first before they try to get John Gibson, right? Like if you have to choose between the two, you're taking Carter Hart every single day. Mm. Do you agree? I, I Yeah. I think if I had to choose between the two, I'd rather spend my assets on Carter Hart because he's still young. He's still right, able to right. turn it around, yes. right? And get back into where we thought he could be you know, that elite status goaltender. And so, and he was um, like, he may not be an elite goalie, but I think that he can be an average goalie. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. He can, I, he I can think, be a, uh, like an average to above average goalie. He, he probably isn't going to be a Vesna guy unless he's on a really good team, has a all Mark style year. Uh, but I don't need that from my goalie. Like just give me somebody who can be solid can play play under some pressure and you know the the goaltending because there's I don't think that you need that super super elite goalie to win never have and I mean you're you're seeing it right now that you've got yes Bobrowski was elite but he has not been elite like you're seeing how different guys can get hot at different times and and that's just what it is like I, I think that there's such a fine margin between Oh, this goalie is better than this goalie. Like it's so slim. Uh, I, I think more so at the goaltending position than any other position in hockey. It's just so thin between first best. You know, you you do have your like maybe top three guys, but after that, like number six to number fifteen, is there a massive difference? No, I don't think there is. But on any given day, those like those guys can have a a hell of a night kind of thing. So I, it's it's hard for me to want to spend resources on a goalie when I see so many free agent goaltenders that I think could get the job done. Yeah, that's the gamble though, right? I mean, do you go out and get the guy you want or do you just take a gamble and hope the guy you want signs with your team? Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll see how quickly this this uh, turns around here. Like, does Carter Hart get dealt before the draft and are, are they are, they seem to be really moving uh, you know, it's not too often. I don't know. I'm trying to think back to, to last year, last couple of years, that there's been a trade this big during the Stanley Cup Finals. Like, right. Provorov is a pretty big name, you know, and probably the Philadelphia Flyers' best player was just dealt. So it, it's interesting that that's happening during the finals. Normally it would happen like maybe a week leading up to the draft, but usually it's after the finals are over. So uh, it's interesting to see teams maybe doing this a little bit earlier because they want to be able to figure out what they're going to do at the draft. Yep. I think just get ahead of it. You know, you don't wait on other teams to, to beat you to it. So yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, if, if we'll, we'll see what, uh, what other trades happen before the draft or during maybe, maybe during tomorrow's game, uh, we'll just, <laughs> we'll just get deals. It'll be happening. Uh, all right. Uh, we, we didn't really touch on the the Ducks getting a new head coach, but Greg Cronin announced their head coach. Uh, any thoughts on that? No, to be quite honest, I haven't really uh, looked too too far into his history. I know he's been an assistant with the Islanders uh, for a while, and um, you know, again, he's he's kind of had. Yeah, you know, he, as far he, as he's been the head coach with uh, AHL Colorado Eagles 
Right, so. right. But I mean, prior to that, though, his NHL experience was, you know, assistant coaches with the Islanders and Maple Leafs. Yep. And, he was yeah. with the Leafs when they were, well, they made the playoffs one time, I think, when, when he was there, and then they <laughs> uh, collapsed in Game 7. So. Whoops. It is inter- the He's the 11th head coach in franchise history, and the, the Ducks have been in existence for, I, I think, what, 30 years, right? About 30, um, almost exactly 30 years. Almost. 11 coaches in 30 years. That's a lot of coaches, I would say. That's like you're, hire, you're hiring and firing a coach like every three years on average. Oh, uh, just just something I noticed. Oh, um, uh, yeah, okay, we can... Yeah, the Ducks, good luck to them. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think you're kind of bringing in somebody who knows how to work with younger players. And that's yeah, ultimately I, what it is, right? Like, it's not a very sexy pick. He's he's a relative unknown in the NHL from a head coaching standpoint, never coached there. But he's done really well in the AHL. He's shown that he can work with kids and that he can develop players, which is exactly what the Ducks need. Dallas Aikens, I, I think, was such a technical coach and more of the X and, X's and O's kind of stuff that I think that Greg Cronin's going to come in and, and be a little bit more of a developmental guy for them. Yeah, and you, and you hope with, you know, uh, Mason McCavich, right, he can take him to the next level, same with Zegers, and especially when you're going to have that number two pick and possibly get Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli. Uh, you want a, a coach who can really develop that that world talent that I think, you know, yes. Adam or, or Leo yeah. are going to be. Uh, New York Rangers head coaching search is still on, and Peter Laviolette and John Hines appear to be the the front runners. Uh, Patrick Waugh, not a candidate there, but I think Patrick Waugh is going to pop up somewhere. I don't know where yet, but uh, I think Patrick Waugh is going to pop up at some point here soon, especially after uh, his, what was it, the Quebec Ramparts won the Memorial Cup, and he just... They just tranced all, trumped all over everybody, and uh, he did a great job coaching them. And he, I think he's, I think he's at least paid his dues enough to where you know teams might be willing to give him another opportunity. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with you. I think you know Waugh deserves a shot. Actually, to be quite honest, I thought Patrick Waugh was going to be probably the front runner in my opinion for the Columbus job because I I thought mm-hmm. after Brad Larson that they needed to go back to a disciplined coach right uh you know or more or less taskmaster if you want to call it that um not that babcock was really my choice but um i thought patrick law would have fit that bill very very well for them so yeah especially uh, after coaching a lot of younger players yeah that's a that's a good a good vibe there too i i i really would if sheldon keith doesn't survive in toronto I'd really like that fit. <laughs> I'd really like that fit okay. for Patrick Waugh in Toronto. He would, yeah, that, he would take a lot of the, uh, a lot of the brunt because he would, he'd be fine with the pressure. You know, he loves to win and that's oh, kind of, yeah. that's, that's the reason. Like, I feel like the Leafs have been a really good team, but they just haven't been able to get over the hump and win. And who better to come in than the guy who's obsessed with winning? I, I, no, I think it'd be a really good fit. That's a really good point. I mean, I I don't I didn't even really think about that. And I think from a media and fan standpoint, they'd probably Maybe. be a little bit more patient with Patrick Waugh, knowing the prestige he brings, the Stanley Cup rings, right? I mean, he's he's been that guy, and um, not necessarily that he has the coaching, you know, uh, resume that just you know is a world beater. But um, he did win Coach of the Year in his only year. That's coach. true. <laughs> he's at least got that. But he was um, like, "See, I, I told you I could do it. See ya." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got to keep an eye out, though, for the Calgary Flames. I mean, we haven't heard much on their coaching front, and uh, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up there, too. But I have to imagine Patrick Waugh wants – I'm sure he wants a shot at Toronto if, if Sheldon Keefe doesn't get retained. Ooh, yeah, uh, and we don't know yet whether that is going to happen. We do know that if the Leafs decide to keep Sheldon Keefe, they are going to extend him. So he won't be that lame duck coach. So – uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I have no idea what will happen, but I think Brad Tree Living obviously wants to spend time with him and and probably you know pick uh, like pick his brain, figure out where he's at, and if it's uh, my guess is that be, it hasn't happened yet. I would think that if it was going to happen, it would happen pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be my guess. Like he said in his press conference, he was going to go visit Austin Matthews. You know, that's out there. But then he also said, you know, the, the 1B is figuring out the head coach. I got to think that at this point, 
if it hasn't happened by Friday, like Friday would be the day to be like, we're not, we're letting him go. Um, if it hasn't happened by Friday, I would think that he's going to stay and that they'll say, you know, there's been a lot of change. Uh, we, we think he's a, he's a good coach. We want to like kind of unlock him, give him, give him the opportunity to prove himself to, uh, to, to like to the new management. And I think that he could, like, I, I do think that he is a really good coach and I, I think that he could coach to the Stanley cup final. Like I, I think that he, he, he's only been a head coach for four years and you can either, uh, like, if they fire him, he'll go somewhere. He'll get a job. No doubt about it. He's done such a good job turning the Leafs into, a, honestly, a, a very good defensive team. A, uh, like, something that I don't think people thought he would do. Uh, they they are very well coached. And, yes, maybe he's gotten out coached in certain playoff series, but he's only been a head coach for four years. Like you knew what you were kind of getting when you brought in a coach who had never coached at the NHL level before that he was going to have some growing pains along the way. And either you let him go now and he gets to go and take all that he's learned and use it for some other team, or you keep him around and you see if he can't continue to get better and continue to improve himself as a head coach. And hopefully the next time he's in the playoffs, uh, he not doesn't just win around, but he you know pushes through and is able to go on a long run. I think yeah. it's worth investing in him. I think, especially when I look at what's out there, other than maybe a Patrick Wall, which is interesting. Don't even know if he would come to Toronto. Not sure, but you, you gotta like you gotta also look at what's out, what else is out there. And I think that he's probably better than anything that's out there right now. Yep, and I got to think too, Sheldon Keith. If he was to, you know, get let go for whatever reason, um, I, I got to think he'd probably be brought into a team as an assistant. Mike Sullivan's uh, assistant, in Pittsburgh. Well, well I, I think he would. I think he would be brought into a team where he probably would. Where uh, you have to imagine that they're already planning to make him the head coach and probably like yeah. keep their like like how Andrew Burnett was brought into right. New Jersey if it didn't work out right. Like yep. for example, Ottawa, right? DJ Smith, if he can't turn it around this year, right? Boom. Now you bring in Sheldon Keith and let him run things just, you know, halfway and that's through the, the other thing you got to think is who are the teams where Sheldon Keith could go to? Cause what if Sheldon Keith went to Ottawa and then he tortured you for the next six years? Right. Because now he knows, he knows all the tricks. He knows all the players in your team. That's the other, uh, other thing you got to consider. Um, but I, I gen, I genuinely like him and I think that the players like him. I think that he's, he's, really turned this team into a good structured team and has, has lots of buy-in from the players. I, Hey, I, I think that I echo what Brad tree living said, where he said winning is hard. Like there's a reason why it's very like when we all went, wow, the Tampa Bay lightning are in the finals a third year in a row last year when that happened, it's amazing because it does not happen. Teams do not win multiple years in a row, let alone go to the finals three years in a row. Like mm-hmm. it's just so rare. It's so rare that the same teams are back in the conference finals. Like it is so hard. Look at Vegas is about to win the cup. They missed the playoffs last year with the same team <laughs> with, with better goaltending last year. <laughs> so it, it just, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, this year you might not win and next year you could win it all. And how much do you turn over from the next year to to the next year? And how much do you try to just say, let's let these guys go at it again and go at it again and, and try to break through and, and hope we have that year. And I think there's a balance between those two things. I don't think you want to keep beating your head against the wall, but I think there's something to be said about being patient with your group and, and giving them opportunities. So there's, it's a, it's a balance and it's hard to walk because I think a lot of GMs are trigger happy. Yep. They love picking off their coaches, which, which is, I, I will say is one thing that I, I could appreciate about Kyle Dubas is that he was like, we're not like, we're not trying to fire everybody all the time. Like every time it kind of came up, yes, he fired Babcock, but that was clearly like Kyle Dubas hated Mike Babcock. You could tell that he hated him, uh, at least from well, like a professional Well, he had an easy standpoint. out with that one for sure. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, easy to fire the douchebag. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, anything else that we want to hit before we get out of here? 
Oh boy. Did I, I miss anything? I don't, I don't think we did really. I feel like, I feel like I, we've, we've talked about everything that's going on. Um, uh, at least the big stuff. Well, um, uh, what who do you think is the next trade to go? What's what's the next deal? Ooh, the next deal. <sighs> that is that that's that's the million dollar question. I really I have to imagine that that Carter Hart is going to be the next piece. I mean I I, I think, you know, Danny Briere is not wasting any time. He's gonna get on it. He's not waiting for the cup to be to be lifted and hoisted and, you know, skated around the ice. He's gonna He's going to go ahead and make some moves and, you know, just get uh, try to assume as many pieces as possible for the upcoming draft. And I think, uh, boy, I if I had to pick something, I'm just going to say it right now. I think Carter Hart's going to end up in Montreal, and that's the next deal that's happening. So, Okay. Um, I, I was going to the, uh, the, old, the old buyout calendar here, or uh, calculator, <laughs> because the, the buyout stuff, they have to be bought out by – uh, oh gosh, what's the date? What is the date on the buyout? It's it's isn't it? It's like before, well, definitely before July first. Uh, it's sometime in and around the draft. Uh, but I think that the Leafs are going to buy out Matt Murray. Yeah, it's, so it, the buyout period this year is uh, begins no later than June fifteenth or at 48 hours after the Stanley Cup final ends and concludes on June 30th at okay. 5 p.m. Okay, okay, all right. Okay, so it's between the 15th and the 30th, essentially. So we've got about a week, uh, and maybe maybe sooner, if this, when the Stanley Cup final ends on uh, maybe... If it's a sweep, it would be the 10th. So that would mean the 12th is when it could happen. I'm looking at Matt Murray's buyout stuff, and, I mean, they can they can lower his cap hit to six six hundred and eighty seven five hundred uh and then two million the following year so a total of of 2.6 million kind of spread between two two seasons i gotta think that especially knowing the cap is going to go up in 2024 25 by a pretty significant margin i have to think that the leafs go i mean there's no reason to keep matt murray around at five at 4.6 million just no reason when you can get, no you, you can get four million off. bucks off your cap that's that's an easy goodbye so i think that that he's bought out and i i think maybe with that money you could then re-sign one of bunting camp uh luke shen who i think is certain to be back and i I just don't think I don't think Ryan O'Reilly's going to be back in Toronto. Unfortunately, like I think he was no. a decent fit, but I think he can still get probably close to five million dollars a year somewhere else. And I think that he'll probably chase it. He already has a Stanley Cup. The only way he stays is if he's like, I'm willing to take three million dollars a year, and I want to win a cup for Toronto, kind of thing. Which I don't know if he's that sold on that. So. Yeah, I, when it comes to Toronto, I mean, I, I think Bunting's going to be overvalued in the market, right? People will yeah. pay way more than he's worth. There, people uh, are going to pay at least four million, four and a half million dollars. I oh, think. I'm looking at Zach Hyman money for him for sure. Five I, and five. I think <laughs> so. because he's he's only had two years in the league at this point. I think that's probably going to going to drop that a bit. Where Hyman had Hyman had played what five years in Toronto, four years in Toronto, so a sure. little bit more under his belt. Uh, so I, but I, I mean, still, okay. Yeah. Maybe somewhere between four and 5 million bucks, maybe someone really overpays for him. If they, they think that he can come and play alongside a star player, uh, which clearly he can do. I mean, that's, it is a rarity and it, teams played a lot for it paid a lot for like a Chris Kunitz. Uh, those players are very important. You can see how important Hyman was, is in Edmonton to, uh, to those top players. And I mean, they're important kind of guys. They don't grow on trees. I guess it's as about as close to a Tom Wilson kind of player as you can get. Is a, a Michael Bunting, Zach Hyman, the, Tom Wilson. I think they're all somewhere in the same ilk. Maybe not in the same level of physicality and, and body checking, but uh, from that kind of like dirty, does the dirty work kind of guy, I, I think they both fit that bill. 
Well, well, here's the thing, just to, to add on to that. So when you talk about physicality, right, we live in a copycat league. That's how the NHL has always been. And we're seeing it right now, right? Guys like Ivan Barbashev, the, the, the Vegas Golden Knights have played a very physical style of hockey, shutting down the Florida Pan- Panthers. And then on the opposite side, Matthew Kachuk has laid the groundwork for a lot of teams to say, gosh, we need a guy like that, right? And so I yes, think those just guys go, that play, Just go find a guy like that. Right. Yeah, so they're obviously not out there, but I think teams are going to overpay. Start and, growing know, them now in well, your they're gonna, I mean, they're, they're going to give up assets, um, you know, for guys that can play a more physical brand of hockey. So um, those Tom Wilsons, those Michael Buntings, they're going to overpay, I think, for, for those guys because they, they hope that they're going to turn out. Maybe to, even a Ryan O'Reilly. Success. Maybe right? this is yeah, the perfect maybe. time for Ryan O'Reilly to, <laughs> to, to become a free agent, whereas maybe two years ago he might not have gotten as much money. Uh, all right. Well, I I think I think that'll be a that'll be a wrap for today, and we will continue following all the trades, everything that's um, leading up to the draft. We'll do a little bit of a, a draft show. What what is the actual date of the draft? It's always. Uh, I'm just gonna just gonna Google it here. It is the twenty eighth of June. So we've got exactly three weeks from today that we're recording this on the seventh. So. Uh, we're pretty close. We'll do a, a draft preview show and kind of talk you know, a little bit about the picks, but a lot of bit about what we think is going to happen at the draft from a uh, player movement standpoint. That's usually the the most fun part about the draft. So we will uh, keep you posted on all that. You can find us on Twitter at OT Hockey Talk. Any last thoughts before we get out of here, Justin? Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>